guys. Welcome to this week's episode of Performance Anxiety. This episode features singer and multi-instrumentalist Danielle DiPicciato. We talk about the wide variety of instruments she plays. We talk about moving to Berlin from New York in the late 80s. We talk about starting the Berlin Love Parade. She's got a new album coming out. Check it out at DanielleDiPicciato.com. That's Danielle D-E-P-I-C-C-I-O-T-T-O dot com. The music is amazing. She was so nice. And this was a great, great episode. I hope you enjoy it. Don't forget to rate us wherever you listen to us. Give us five stars. Something nice to say. Check out our merchandise at performanceanx.threadless.com. Here's Danielle DiPicciato. This is Danielle DiPicciato on performance anxiety, something which I know very well. <laughs> I, uh, please forgive me if, if I get a couple things wrong. I don't speak any German, so when I, I know I'm going I'm I'm to butcher names and, and stuff, so please help me, <laughs> help me out with that. <laughs> no problem at all. In fact, during the interview, I may be, I may be asking you, um, I'm not even, please pronounce that for me because I'm not even going to give it a shot. Okay. So, no problem. No so, problem at all. <laughs> so again, I do thank you so much for joining me. Um, and I know this is this is uh, for this show. This is the first international interview I've done. So thank you for that. Oh wow! Cool. That's an honor. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you 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 moved to Berlin back in uh, the late '80s, and uh, I was wondering what what precipitated that. Well, approximately, you don't have to give ages, but about how old were you, and what what made you decide Berlin was the place for you? Well, I had just finished studying in New York and, um, you know, New York in the eighties was pretty heavy. I mean, um, dangerous and mainly dangerous. Yeah. Um, I kind of was a little tired of being scared all the time. That was like a general feeling I had because I had a couple of um, teachers that were shot and a couple of friends that were, yeah, it was, it was pretty bad back then. Like, you know, 85. Yeah. I I lived in New Jersey, but I was still in like, middle school and high school around that time. So I, I was, yeah, I was, you know what, it, you know what it was like. Yeah. I remember hearing about things, but you know, I, I was in central Jersey, about an hour out of New York and an hour out of Philly. And so I wouldn't go into New York all the time. So I didn't get to experience it. So that's, but wow. I, teachers getting yeah. shot. It was heavy. I lived downtown in the lower East side and, okay. um, it was just really heavy. You know, cab drivers wouldn't take you there after dark and stuff like that. Wow. So in any case, I was like, um, in, I was kind of invited to come to Germany, and um, I went to visit a friend in Berlin, and it kind of blew my mind because it was really cheap. I mean, New York was pretty expensive already back then. Right. Berlin was, like, so cheap. It was just incredible. I got an apartment for 30 marks, which was about $15. Oh, my God. I know, like three bedroom apartment, and exactly that's what I thought. I was like, "Oh my god!" Wow. <laughs> and it wasn't dangerous at all. There was like no danger. There was, you know, you could walk around anytime, day or night, and as a woman, and you didn't have to be scared of anything. So that wow. was the second thing, and the third thing was that it was as creative as New York because you know Berlin was an island back then, and so either you hated it or you loved it because it was surrounded by a wall. Right. And you know, and so I loved it. And all the people that were there were either artists or people that were, you know, didn't want to go to the army guys because you didn't have to go to the army if you're in Berlin. So I just fell in love with it immediately. And by chance, I got um, I got the possibility of moving into this huge loft um, for fifteen dollars. And so I said, OK, I'm staying. <laughs> who wouldn't, though, at that point? My gosh. <laughs> It was incredible. That's amazing. And, and so you, you're actually uh, from Tacoma, Washington, and you. But you, is your was your family military? Yes, my father. My father was an oral surgeon in the army. Oh wow, that's pretty wild. So you were you, you moved around a lot then? I would, I would imagine. Absolutely. I was in Tacoma, I think, for three months before my father was, you know, he had transferred to Denver. So uh, I have never really lived in my hometown. And we just moved around until, until we ended up in New York. So, And yeah. was your family musical? Uh, not really. Not really. So I mean, I, I learned. 
Well, I learned piano pretty early on and violin pretty early on. Um, it was actually, it was funny, you know, I really started, I mean, I did, I did a lot of violin and piano playing when I was small, but I actually only started doing music really when I came to Berlin because of a, um, kind of like a mistaken identity. Somebody asked me to sing in their band cause they thought I was somebody else. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. That's crazy. And, yeah. And I always liked singing and I always liked music, but I was pretty shy back then. And so they said, do you want to sing in, in our band? And I was like, okay. <laughs> and then I only asked them like, you know, a year later, why did you ask me? And they said, well, because you sang on that one record. And I was like, that wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a, it was a surprising start <laughs> for everybody. Apparently. Yes. <laughs> That is that is the best story of how any from anybody of how they got into music. That is so awesome. Yeah, you, I never I never really planned on it because I was incredibly shy. I was like I had terrible stage fright um, for a very long time, so I never thought that I would you know I would ever do music on stage. But because of this band, they they were really easy on me, and it was it was a kind of hip hop crossover band, and there were a lot of guys there, and I could kind of hide behind them at the beginning, and then the, the more courageous I got, the more I would go up front, and at the end, and the end effect, I was like the lead singer. So oh. it was a good, good, <laughs> a good learning process. That is crazy. Now you. you you play a few instruments here, and I, I've in studying a little bit here. I found that you play. I uh, see so you, you play the uh, the piano. You play some violin, but you also play the auto harp and the hurdy gurdy. Yep. Yes. I've I've always been fascinated by the hurdy gurdy. How do you get into just playing a hurdy gurdy? Because that thing seems <laughs> pretty imposing to me. <laughs> Yes. Well, I mean, I've always loved odd sounding instruments and a lot of them come from the Eastern European countries. So um, when we started, when I started touring with my now project, um, uh, I, we played a lot in Eastern European country and believe it or not, there's this old hurdy gurdy player in Prague who plays on the streets. And I had never heard of a hurdy gurdy before. And when I, I was walking around Prague and I heard this, sound. I was like, what is that? And so I kind of followed it like the Pied Piper. And I can, you know, it was really like in this old city and these old walls hearing this odd sound. So I followed the sound until like, I found the person that was making it. it was a really, really old man. He must have been in his 80s oh. playing the instrument. And it was so incredibly beautiful. I just listened to it for, I don't know, until he left. And I was like, I have to play that instrument. And they're really, really expensive. They're, yeah. they're like a real, a real hurdy-gurdy costs around four or 5,000 euros. And I was like, well, that's impossible. Wow. And so um, it was kind of a dream until um, my husband actually gave me one for my birthday, which he had found in Poland for a very, very much cheaper. Like it was very, it wasn't expensive. It was like a cheap hurdy gurdy. <laughs> and I could start playing it, and I, I just love it. I mean, the sound is just incredible. When you play it, it's like you're being transferred in a different time. You suddenly feel like you're in the middle, middle ages or something. Yeah, and that's exactly what the sound is. It, it's and that story, I, that I can almost picture that like a movie. Yes, that's what it felt like. As you rarely have something like that happen to you that you hear something and you're like, what is that? Yeah, exactly. And then, then just following it through the, some, some streets. I picture it as like it's foggy out. The streets are almost completely empty. And then it's just you listening to this sound, trying to exactly. find this old man playing this yeah. weird instrument you've never seen before. That is such a movie. Yes. Yes. It was, it was really magical. And um, and then that hurdy-gurdy, it's kind of magical all throughout my life because then the hurdy-gurdy that my husband gave me fell apart because it was so cheap at one point. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, what do I do now? Because I've integrated it in my songs and I don't, I, I just still cannot afford buying an instrument for 5,000 euros. And then um, I, I was playing this show in Austria and this uh, kind of, you know, this, um, I guess, fan, or he's a, f a friend in the meantime who came to all our shows, came up after the show and said, I have a present for you. And he gave me hurdy-gurdy. And I was like, what? Wow. And he said, yeah, I've had this in my basement for ages, and I don't know what to do with it. 
And I saw you playing it last time. I thought maybe you can use it. So it was like just when my old one fell apart, oh. I magically got a new one. So I thought, okay, I'm supposed to play this instrument. That's amazing. Yes. That, that is a, it's absolutely a magical instrument. Yes, totally, <laughs> totally. <laughs> so, all right, so obviously old medieval type of music is an, is an influence uh, based just on the instruments that you play. What else has influenced your the music? You know, going even going back to a kid, what, what were you listening to that's had an effect on you? Well, um, my first love was Morricone. Yeah, because my first favorite mu- mu- uh, movie was The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. Yeah. And yeah. that kind of, I think, influenced my whole life. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so that's kind of always been the sound in a way that I that I that I'm looking for. Um, another another person that really influenced me, not back then, but in the last years, was Scott Walker and the you know the stuff that he did. Yeah, he just recently so, passed away. Yeah, yeah. That was terrible. Yes, I know. Oh, that was man. very sad. But um, his music and and Morricone and um, I don't know if you've heard of the composer Arvor Pärt. He's like an East Euro- Eastern European composer. I think he's from, um, I'm not quite sure, maybe Russia or I don't know. I don't know. Okay, no, he lives I'm in Berlin. He, he does kind of stuff like Ennio Morricone, except in the classical sector. So because I play violin and all that, those three, those three composers are basically my huge, my, my masters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, those... Those are fit. I'm, and I'm going to check out that composer because uh, listening to your music and, and the other influences you've had, now I'm very, very curious. Yes. I think you'd like it. If you like Ennio Morricone, you like this. He has a lot of, you know, Morricone always has these bells and stuff. He yeah. has a lot of bells. Yeah. I love yeah. bells. Yeah, exactly. And he knows how to use space in music so yeah. well. Exactly. So you, exactly. Uh, all right. So now you, you moved to Berlin in the late 80s. So you were there when the wall came down then. Oh, Yes. What happened to the to the music scene at that point? Well, um, that was quite an event. Um, it's like I don't know if you know that I can I kind of originated the Love Parade together with my back then boyfriend. I was definitely going to ask you about that. That was kind of the beginning of a new music era uh, for Berlin. Before, like before the wall came down, it was kind of like. Um, ingenial dilettants, like, you know, Einschutz Neubauten, Nick Cave was a lot in, in Berlin. Um, Thank Depeche you for Mo- pronouncing that for me, by the way, because I've, oh. I've, I've known that band for decades and I've never been able to figure out how to pronounce that name. <laughs> yes, I understand. It's like my last name. Those two words, Einschutz Neubauten and my last name, Daniel de Picciotto, it's a tongue breaker. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's very true. We are fully aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so you get you move to Berlin, the wall comes down, and you start this love parade. Tell me more about that. Well, um, like I said, um, the the sound of Berlin before was kind of like um, this really melancholic, existentialist, dark music because Berlin was very dark before the wall came down. That's why people either hated or loved it because for a lot of people it was too dark. You know, it was it was it was kind of scary in a way too, in a in a kind of romantic way. But um, when the wall came down, it was like somebody had opened the door, and it, obviously a lot of people came from the east, so that is why it was kind of like a door opening. But it was also because before it had been surrounded by a wall, and you couldn't really leave or or leave or get in easily, suddenly it was easier. So all kinds of different influences happened. And the first thing that happened musically was this new music, which eventually became techno music or that kind of electronic style, acid jazz and stuff came in from England and from Detroit. And I was dating um, a guy back then called Matthias Röhring, who's now known, known as Dr. Motte. And uh, he was really, really interested in those new sounds because they kind of deconstructed music. Okay. And um, I thought that was really interesting. I mean, I've always really liked lyrics and I'm very into, you know, writing lyrics. But it was it was pretty shocking at the beginning to hear this kind of music suddenly, you know, that was completely reduced only to rhythm. Um 
I don't know, to hear it. So it was, it was something completely new. And we, him and I, we decided that we felt like doing a parade with this new music to, to have, to kind of force everybody to listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Well, that's, that's a definitely a different approach to getting your music out there. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Here, you're going to have to listen to this. Exactly. We're going to walk up and down your street and you're just going to have to listen to this. (laughs) Yeah. You can't change the station. Sorry. This is, this is it. Exactly. (laughs) So now, How long did you do the the love parade for? Um, I stayed there for about the first five years, and then it became it became so big. Like there were one at the beginning, the first love parade had 150 visitors okay. or people participating, and then after five years, it was 1.5 million. What? And yes, it became very big. Oh uh, we didn't ex- yeah we didn't expect that. It just kind of I guess it was just you know a lucky thing that we just hit that time, you know, sign of the times or something or something that everybody was open for. The zeitgeist. Yeah, it was, oh, it was crazy. German right there. Look, it uses a little German. Yeah. <laughs> you and I may have to end up doing uh, a podcast parade or something where we just walking out of people's streets, throwing my, my podcast out there because <laughs> I would love to go from 150 listeners to 1.5 million in five years. Yeah. That would be amazing. It's kind of shocking. <laughs> if I could do that with this show, I might actually be able to make a little money with it. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so this- Although you can't really make money with parades. We didn't make any money on it. Well, at least not in the five first years where I was part of it because, you know, you kind of just, what are you going to sell? People yeah. come and walk. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, you're trying to get mu- the music out there to begin with and that, you know, you're not charging people for it. You're just exactly. playing it. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, so it's, I mean, after a while, I guess they started, you know, getting sponsoring and stuff like that. But that was after my time at the beginning. We just did it because it was just an incredible feeling to be able to play your music on the street and and have that many people walking and dancing to it. So that was pretty incredible. And it was kind of heralding a new era of music. That's kind of when this whole techno electronic music became a really strong part of the Berlin music scene. And it still kind of is. Yeah, I, I remember lots of friends. See, I was in college in early to mid '90s, and I remember lots of my friends listening to to, to bands like the ones that I can't pronounce, and, and I'm not going to even try because I don't want to insult them with. <laughs> but uh, and it was funny because I didn't I didn't get into it at that point. It, I was yeah. I was more of a. Uh, into the older Led Zeppelins, the Black Sabbaths, and the newer, heavier rock stuff coming out, you know, like a typical late teenage boy would be, aggressive right. stuff. And it's taken me several years to appreciate the music and, and start to understand what it was about and, and why it progressed and, and you know why it, it, it's broken down to, to what it is. And, and it's, it's so much different than what I was listening to. And uh right. It's been a very eye-opening for me because I, I now I think back about some of the bands that I missed, and I probably could have seen uh, some of them, you know, stateside playing or, or and and gotten into a lot a whole different type of music. And I, it's uh, it's been very eye-opening for me to to go back and listen to some of these bands. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I think that it's always it always there's always a time in one's life that one needs a certain kind of music. I've had the same thing. I mean, like for instance, I when I started the Love Parade, I was really into techno music. In the meantime, I don't listen to it at all anymore. So now I I like electronic music. I mean, there's electronic elements in my music, and I like harmonies, and I like the mixture of classical with drone and with rock. Yeah. So you know, I guess that. I guess that it, it evolves with, with one's life. Sometimes, you know, you like stuff that doesn't have any lyrics and then you only want lyrics. So that's very <laughs> true. That's very true. I can definitely tell you that there are times where I, I, it was a six hour drive for me to go from my house in New Jersey up to uh, my college in Rochester, New York. And uh-huh. I can remember just throwing cassettes. Yeah. Cassettes in the tape player. And listening to music the entire time. And I can't do that now. It's definitely yeah. changed. I definitely need something. And that's why one thing, one reason why I love podcasts is it's kind of, I like, oh, even if I'm not part of the conversation, if I can listen to a conversation. 
Right. It helps pass longer stretches of the day better than, than music would for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, back then it didn't, the podcasts didn't really exist, did they? That's something really new too. Right. I mean, yeah. Really, yeah. It was just back- talk radio basically. And you know, I didn't, I definitely didn't want to listen to any NPR was not on my playlist on my presets on my radio either. Yeah, I was yeah. since I'm listening to more aggressive stuff. NPR was the antithesis of everything I was listening to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you, you tour, or well, are, are you touring with with bands at this point? Um, are you who are you playing with uh, at the time of, of the Love Parade and and from then on? Oh, back then I was. Yeah. Um, well, back then I, I had a band called Space Cowboys, and we were kind of like a hip-hop crossover rock band, one of the first in Berlin. Right. And um, that's kind of where, that, that's the band that basically asked me if they thought I was somebody else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I played with them until about mid-90s. And um, so I was kind of in the techno scene doing the Love Parade, but at the same time I was also in the rock and in the hip-hop scene because of my band. So I was kind of always like in all these different music scenes. Personally, I back then really liked trip-hop, you know, like Portishead. Portishead, yes. I, yeah. That's one band I always did like. I always liked Portishead. I loved them. Yeah, I loved them. And so I kind of tried to bring that, put that, like, integrate that in my hip-hop band. So I did that until 95. Okay. And I imagine telling me what you're telling me about Berlin. It, it sounds like it was a little easier to delve into different types of music. Music, that's not a word. Music than it would be over here in the States. A little more accepting of it. Um. Well, you know, I guess... I guess it started changing in the mid-90s that um, it was acceptable to do that. In the 80s, it wasn't. In the 80s, it was like either you were in the rock scene or you were in the, I don't know, 70s scene or in the hip-hop scene. But um, that's why my band, when we were like doing this crossover thing back then, was one of the first ones. It was kind of the start of crossover. And Berlin, you know, is... It's a big city, but still the scene is, you can, back then, especially you kind of knew everybody. So, um, a lot of people started doing that, like delving into different music styles, just out of the interest. And, and it was fun trying to put weird stuff together. I, and that's the kind of stuff I love. Cause I remember back, uh, mid nineties, what really, really brought that to the forefront for me was there's a soundtrack to a movie judgment night where they matched, uh, Hip hop, oh, right. yeah, hip hop artists with that. rock stars. Yes, I had that. That oh, was great. I still have. I still listen to it. It's still amazing. Yes. <laughs> That's yes. yeah. That was a big changing point for me because I it, it was, and, and maybe it was just me being in my early twenties at that point. I never thought of mixing genres like that. I never never realized. Hey, and it's such a simple idea. Let's just get two yeah. people who don't do the same type of music together and see what happens. And to me, it was magical because then it started opening my eyes to people like Del the Funky Homo Sapien and, and all exactly. that. Exactly. And, and so you're doing that in, in Berlin then, around this, exactly. a little earlier, actually, even. Yes. It was like I was in, the, in, the, in that band from uh, 89, 90 until 95. And for me, I mean, I, it, it was perfect for me because I, I just love, I still do that up to today. I try to bring together odd you know, things that don't really fit together and see what happens. And it kind of always creates magic, I find. So for me, it was kind of an eye opener that you could do that. And it's kind of stayed with me and all my different arts throughout the years. And you you are an artist of, of, of many styles. So you, you've, you're a musician. You're also, uh, you've done illustrations, painting. Um, you, you've actually written two books how did you get into to writing and is that, or is it something you've always done? Um, I've kind of always done it. I mean, writing I've really done from the very, very start. I could read very early and I started writing immediately. So that's the thing that kind of um, has been with me from the start. Although I never really 
had the aspiration of becoming a writer that kind of happened more by chance. I think probably because I just enjoyed writing lyrics so much, it just kind of happened. And, you know, I mean, nowadays, or not only nowadays, it's always been like that. It's so difficult to survive as an artist without having a job on the side that I kind of thought, okay, I'll try to like use all of my talents and somehow earning money. And so it just like, you know, when you write a book, at least here in Europe, you get a pretty good advance. So somebody said, Hey, you know, I, I think that you have a interesting stories that you feel like writing a book. And I was like, sure. (laughs) (laughs) And I did it and I really enjoyed it. So then I, I, I kind of try and spend my time um, doing a little bit of all of these other things too, because I take time off of my music and then I can think I get like this distance to my music, which is, which kind of enriches it. So yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. I mean, I'm lucky in that way that I'm a little kind of successful in all the different areas. I imagine it would make the, the the albums that you create more accurate. It gives it a more accurate representation of what you're trying to get across because you can, you control the music you control the images, you control the notes that are inside. You can, you can form all that exactly how you want it. Exactly. So it's really a hundred percent kind of um, depiction of what I'm trying to say in every kind of um, area. That's true. And, you know, while I'm painting, for instance, I usually think about my music and I listen to the stuff that I've recorded. And then, so it's, it's, I'm really lucky in that way. But I mean, I have to say it's also because Berlin or Europe as such still has a lot of possibilities of, you know, being able to live in a, in like, you know, rents are just not as high. Okay. Um, you know, as, as, as soon as your rent isn't that high, you have more chances of living as an artist freely. So I have that luxury here in Berlin. That's true. Maybe I should move there. I was a photographer for you. And, and anybody who listens to this podcast on a regular basis gets tired of me saying that I used to be a photographer. So it's uh, uh-huh. then, but you know, three kids, uh, yeah. insurance, you, you know, it becomes, I've got to provide. And then yes. when the money isn't there on a regular basis, you start to think, ah, you know what? I should probably be a better parent because <laughs> yeah. my, my, my rent isn't unfortunately 30 euros. It, right. You know, add a couple zeros to that. And it's, uh, a little closer to my my monthly bills, so uh, maybe I should try coming over to Berlin with my my wife, and my kids. So, but, <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of people coming to Berlin because of that. Although the rents are not thirty bucks anymore, <laughs> a lot more, and they're saying it's going to become the most expensive city in Europe in ten years. So people wow. are kind of freaked out here. You know, it's a global thing at the moment. So, is but that- it's okay. So I can kind of survive off of my art. Is that why you and your husband decided to pack everything up and become nomadic? Yes, that's exactly why. Like my husband was born in Berlin, so he's a real Berliner, which is as rare as a, let's say, real New Yorker or, you know, whatever. Right. Um, (laughs) And so he's been living here all his life. And, you know, when gentrification really started happening here, which is nothing in comparison to New York or L.A. or stuff, but it started becoming noticeable in 2010, it was like, wait a minute, this is going to become a real problem because the difference between, let's say, New York and Berlin is that the rents are really cheap here, but the um, salary is really low. So the rents are going up, but there is no way of really earning money here because Berlin is still one of like the, I guess, cheapest cities or it's still broken away because of this whole reunification thing so it's really really hard to earn money so we were like what are we going to do if it's going to become so expensive and we still earn the same as before and we thought okay let's go and just check out new places for a time and that that's been eight Eight nine years years now i'm gonna say you haven't found a place yet uh, not really. No, we kind of, <laughs> we thought, you know, okay, well, let's find a place that is like Berlin used to be, you know, really cheap, really safe, lots of artists. Um, and, um, it's really difficult to find places. Like that. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. it's very difficult. Now, where are you traveling? Where, where, how far do you guys reach? 
Well, we last year we did a tour through Australia. Oh wow! And yeah, which was really great. And New Zealand, which was amazing. I mean, New Zealand's oh. pretty, pretty, pretty great. And we found a place there actually um, called Dunedin. It's in the south of New Zealand, and it's kind of like Berlin in the '80s. It's really cheap. There's all kinds of crazy artists. <laughs> it's 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 really safe. It's really wonderful, but it's so far away. <laughs> yeah. Oh my. Yeah. That's a very remote area, I can imagine. I mean, New Zealand in itself is remote. And then if you're going to a remote area of New Zealand. Exactly. Man. So it was kind of like, wow, this is perfect, but it's so far away. Oh, yeah. Well, I could I could cling okay. to a few really cheap places in Alabama, but I don't know if it's going to have the artistic qualities you want. Yeah, because, you know, you also, I don't know, like, if you can, can you earn money there? That's the other thing we have to do. No, that's why we left. That's why my wife and I left Alabama. <laughs> okay. We moved up to Virginia where I could find a job, so. Right, because with underground music, it's kind of difficult to, you know, earn money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, what effect has that had on your art, your, your music and your, your, your physical art? Um, it was actually really interesting because, I mean, for one, we had to get rid of all kinds of stuff. Well, we basically, because we put all our stuff in storage, we had to get rid of two-thirds of everything we had and um, wow. only kept our instruments, a little bit of, you know, my art and, you know, what I, taxes or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, stuff that you have to keep. And um, basically had to get used to traveling with one suitcase per person and our instruments. And that really changes you, you know, when you when you have to when you kind of have to just depend on only one suitcase. Um, it's interesting. At the beginning, we were like, we don't know. I mean, I was like, how many shoes can I take? And <laughs> <laughs> high heels, no way. <laughs> That was tough. Oh, man. Yeah, you know, I didn't think about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. There's a lot of stuff you have to give up. But then after a while, we noticed you don't really miss it, and it's actually possible. And um, because you've kind of lightened your life or, you know, you've you've emptied your life of all, everything you don't really need, you suddenly realize that you don't – you actually do not need it. You need a lot less than you actually think. And you become a lot more focused on the things that you – are doing because you're not you're not kind of at least put it um, distracted by all the different things that you have and do. Okay. And I think that our, our work has become a lot more yeah focused in every way. So it's it's kind of it's been a real eye opener in a lot of things. I can, yeah I can imagine that because I, I'm sitting around here looking at my my room right now. It's full of laundry and and. Um, Stuff that I just don't really need. I'm thinking, it sounds like a fantastic idea right now. Yeah. I got way more than one suitcase full of laundry sitting on my floor right now waiting to be folded <laughs> and put away. And I'm like, I don't exactly. want really to do it right now. So just pack it up and bolt. Me and my <laughs> wife and the kids just take off. But that's, you know, it's funny. It's actually something that my wife and I have considered doing after the kids are you know in college and on their own. Just... You know, traveling for a little while at yeah. some point when I don't have to worry about income as much, maybe. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but but it's always been something we've I've considered. So, you know, hearing talking to somebody who's actually done it is, is very fascinating to me. Yeah, it's 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 really great. I mean, you know, it kind of opens your eyes to all kinds of things. Like, for instance, you know, because we're traveling and we're living either in art residency places or at friends places or we're touring with other bands, we basically uh, also learned a completely different way of interacting with people because you're constantly interacting with people. And it, it it's really interesting. It really because, you, you know, you get a good insight into all kinds of different cultures and and the way people manage their lives and it kind of shows you that we all kind of have the same you know hopes and fears and problems and that we're not alone that it's kind of like a you know we're all dealing with the same things and it, it it's it's great it really opens a lot of barriers in your mind that's and, interesting. Um, yeah it, it's hmm. it was I mean, it's not easy i mean it's definitely not easy you kind of like if you don't have a place 
You know, we toured for years, but we always, of course, had our home that we would go back to. When you don't have that, a lot of other things also start. You know, you start, you you also kind of, we had depressions because we were like, oh, my God, are we ever going to find a home again? (laughs) What have we done? Wow, yeah, you know, I didn't, that's that's a, a point I didn't even think about. Yeah, you know, and and if you don't have a place you can go back to, you really have to plan a long way ahead of time because if something doesn't work out, okay, what are you going to do? You're going to have to go to a hotel, and that's really expensive. So oh, it's a lot right. of it's a lot of work. Yeah, people don't aren't much for bartering nowadays. No. <laughs> hey, give me a room, and you know we'll sing in in the lounge for you for a night. Exactly. That doesn't work exactly. so well. And, you know, and we're not teenagers. If we were like twenty. Just, you know, when I was 20, I didn't care if I had to sleep on a bench or something or if I, you know, but when you're our age, like, you know, early 50s, it's different. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. I get up yeah. out of my own bed and my, my back's creaking and I can't imagine sleeping on, on, on a bench in my age. Exactly. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. And so, so in this period of, of you being a nomad, basically, you've put out two... You, you put out one solo album. Your second album is about to come out. Is, is that a direct response to, to being a nomad? Because you've, you've been part of 19 different albums, I believe in one way or another, but this is only the one coming out is only your second solo album. Yes. Is it well, I mean, part of being of, of traveling so much? Um, I don't know if it's part of the travel. It's kind of, um, because I've been, I've collaborated with so many different people. I, at one point I had the feeling I really have to see what my own voice is and what I actually like and what I actually have to say. And do I have anything to say at all? And it was interesting because the first solo album I did was more instrumental. I recorded it in um, in Joshua Tree, which was incredibly inspiring. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was just amazing, and um, it kind of you know really reminded me of the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> that, oh yeah, that was that would have that, that was perfect for you then. Yes. It was so perfect for me that I just kind of immediately recorded all these songs. It was really, really easy. And it was interesting for me because I kind of got to know what my voice is, which is different than if you're collaborating with other people. And um, because of that, I had different things to say or to offer after I had done it in the other collaborations. So it was really interesting. And I I just enjoyed it so much. I thought I want to do a second album. And um, I decided to do it now because my husband, um, he's going to be recording with his band this year, and which gives me a little bit more time. And I don't really feel like starting a new band with somebody else. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to concentrate on my own stuff. Okay. And I recorded my second one. Well, I was perusing a little bit of, of your first album, T- uh, Tacoma, and the songs like, like Luminous and Per Aspera Ad Astra. It's gorgeous. It's it's they're absolutely beautiful tracks. It's just, oh, it's like, well, it's exactly what you're saying. It's, it's kind of a, a mix of some electronic beats and all, but beautiful incorporation of, of the sounds of nature, you know, uh, the birds and, and rain and, and all kinds of stuff mixed in, into your songs on the, on that album and on the new one. And it's, uh, in fact, I think one song, uh, is it the, uh, Blanking on the name right now. It's uh, you, you. You put in lions into it, if I remember correctly. Is that or is it tigers? Or it's sounds like an enormous cat growling in the background. Which song? The dark butterfly. Or yes, that's it. Dark butterfly. Yes, exactly.
Yeah, yeah. There's all kinds of different animals there. And, and, and now, now that I now that you said that, I found that in my notes. Yes. I found that exact sentence in my notes. So, yes, it's dark. Now, when you're recording on your own and, and you want to incorporate sounds like that, is it hard to find the right sound? Are you are you going through like five different lion sounds and a bunch of different bird sounds? How is it? I don't know, it sounds like a silly question, I guess, now that I said it out loud. But it's it's actually it, honestly, I, I was I was thinking about that. Like, is is. One line sound better than another? Is is it is a bird one type of bird better than? Are you looking for a certain bird squawk or how do you go through? Is is it just oh hey I heard that and that sounds great or are you actually combing through different sounds? Well, um, I kind of have the sound in my head that I want, and um, either I try recording it if I you know wherever I am if I can go to the zoo or if I can go wherever into the forest or wherever I am or I obviously look um, if I can find it somewhere in, in some sound bank but I, I do know exactly what I'm looking for I mean for that specific song um, it's kind of I mean the whole album has a lot more lyrics than I actually originally had planned on it it's a, I surprised myself because um, as I said, in comparison to the first one, which was more instrumental, this time I had the feeling uh, somehow all these lyrics came out. And I think it's because um, while I was writing it, I was I was really dealing with the situation because, you know, we're nomads. We travel all the time. So we kind of also get the feeling of what's happening in all these different countries, politically, socially, um, economically. That kind of you were asking me if that being a nomad influenced my work that definitely influenced this album because all the things that I'd experienced um, kind of came rushing out in my lyrics this time. So like, you know, the whole political upheaval in Europe, in New Zealand, in the States and all the things that people are kind of speaking and worrying about, it all came out there. And that specific song, um, The Dark Butterfly. It's kind of, it's kind of this feeling I had of how we're all flying in the dark, and and especially our politicians—they're like so in the dark. Like, what's happening? And yeah. I had the feeling that you know the whole world is kind of like, oh my God, what's happening? And that the animals are are kind of also very worried. And I wanted a worried lion, to put it short. <laughs> <laughs> well, it came through. You you picked the right lion for sure. Yes. <laughs> Now, on tracks like that, is it uh, you've got the sound in your head and and you're creating the the lyrics? Is it hard to match the vocals with the the sounds of of nature? Um, not really. I mean, um, and that's just because you of, have the idea in your head to begin with. Like, I, I want some rain yeah. in this track, and exactly. Okay, it's just this, it's it's all done very instinctively. Um, I kind of work here on well, wherever I am with my computer. I don't have a super expensive studio. I just have like I make my little things I work with. So it's um, technically it's not like this big luxurious nerdy thing. And so um, I I just try to create that sound best that I can with my voice, with my instruments, and with the samples that I record or find to create a certain kind of atmosphere. It's, I'm always kind of like atmospheres okay. are really important to me. Now, speaking of, of recording now, the first track, uh, I'm going to try to, I'm going to butcher this. I know. Ed Arapuerit. I'm butchering it, aren't I? That's okay. It's Latin. And I always forget how to spell it too. <laughs> yeah. It kind of, kind of means don't give up. Okay. That's kind of what I always tell myself, and I thought maybe it's a good first song to have. Like, let's not give up yet. <laughs> well, the chorus is absolutely beautiful. The so many beautiful uh, voices. Is that all you or do you have other people singing with you on that? No, that's all me. That's, I do the choruses. Yeah. And, Thanks. 
I was trying to figure this out because I love coral things like that. Uh, there's a, and you may even be familiar with these, this uh, band. Uh, I have a CD by a band called Quink, the Quink Vocal Ensemble or Q U I N K. Oh. Uh huh. No. Oh, it, know. it's amazing. I think they're Dutch or something. I don't know. I got it way, I got 20 years ago when the, this album came out, and the, the choruses are absolutely beautiful. And they're very similar to the style. It's like, I don't want to say Gregorian chant kind of a style, of course, but what what type of, of course is it? What type of music would you consider that chorus? Because I want to find more of that. Ah, um, well, I, I would actually even say it's kind of classical. I used to, when I was small, I think that influenced me. I started singing in, in like children's choirs and stuff when I was, I think, around five because my mother I don't know she thought that was important and so I basically sang in choirs all through my whole school school time and I I can sing pretty high so I was always a soprano and I'd say that it's that what I sing there is um is pretty just regular classic choir sound I mean for instance um I guess I'm not sure Bach has choirs like that, like the old masters. There's okay. quite a few. Absolutely I beautiful. I started doing it on my own, but in the last album I did with my husband, which is called Minateke, um, we were recording in an old church in Austria. And just by, just for the fun of it, I started doing these different voices when we were recording and we recorded like a 10 voice choir together. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, I have to go on doing it. So it kind <laughs> of, you know, <laughs> My album too. <laughs> yeah. Now, this this is actually a question I wanted to ask earlier, and I totally forgot about this. Did you, when you decided to move to to Berlin, did you already speak German, or did you have to learn it as you immersed yourself in it? Um, well, I I couldn't speak, but I could understand it because my mother's German, and so she used to speak to me in German, but I always answered in English. And so when I came to Germany, I had to kind of learn it, but because I had it in my ear, I learned it pretty quickly. That makes sense because uh, obviously you sound your German is is fantastic. Obviously, you've been there for a while, and yeah. you learned <laughs> yourself in it. So, and it's I've always wondered about about that. You know, dropping yourself into a different country and and having to learn the uh, the, the language is. It, I, I just wonder if I could, a if I could do it, and if if I could, if I would just sound like an American speaking whatever language I'm in, or if, or if I would pick up the nuances of of the syntax and. I think that if you are, um, for instance, are somebody who's very audio um, inclined, like you l listen to a lot of music, you like doing music and stuff, um, it's it's something that's quite natural and is easier for somebody who. Um, is not like is more visual for instance like I know musicians that learn languages really really fast um, and, and if you're living in a country you usually I mean most people I know it takes them like they do a couple of maybe little lessons and stuff they usually learn it within a year okay wow yeah yeah you know, I had friends from Australia that came to Berlin and, and they just did a couple of courses and within a year they could they could speak German pretty well. And German's not an easy language. No, I, I know. I've actually, uh, my aunt is from, um, why am I blanking on everything this morning? It's like eight o'clock here. Oh. <laughs> and I'm trying to remember. Things. No, no, no. This, I, this is fantastic because it, it made me get up early, get the kids up early. My wife and my one of my daughters is out of the house shopping for a dress for something she's got to go to. Um, uh, Brent, okay. My aunt is from Bremen. That's ah, so it's a nice place. Yeah. I've, I've grown up listening to her speaking, you know, and, and, and I've tried to pick up things here and there. she's tried to teach me a little bit and it's, it's insane. I mean, they their words are so complex <laughs> yeah. and long. I mean, they've got nothing on the Welsh, but, <laughs> but the words are so long and complex that I, I, it's much like some, a lot of things that are German. It's intimidating. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I'm really happy that I, I kind of had it in my ear because my mother spoke. I don't know if I would have been able to learn it that well. Um, but again, I know a lot of people that did. 
I'm not, I actually, I'm, I, I don't really like learning languages because I don't know. I just don't. So I'm, I'm really, I'm really lucky in that. <laughs> so, so your new album's coming out. Uh, it comes out May 15th. Now th- this will probably end up being released after that, but we'll, I'm st- we're still talking about it like it's in the future. Um, you've got, you're, you're including artwork that you've created for this album. Can you tell me a little bit about how the music, did the music influence the art or the art influence the music or was it both? Well, I think that both was basically influenced by my travels. Um, I always like, like I I really enjoy drawing or painting and listening to the stuff that I've recorded. So I have some time to think about what I'm recording. And so I'm sure that the music does influence what I'm drawing and because I'm drawing it, it also influences the music. But in general, it's kind of um, both are influenced by my travels. So I usually draw like portraits. I don't I don't I'm not abstract at all. I have very colorful um, portraits and I kind of have, you know, I paint the impressions of people that I that I meet on my my journey. Okay. So the state of mind kind of. That's kind of what the whole album is about, the state of mind in general at the moment. Because I travel so much and I see so many people and I experience so many different cultures, it's kind of all become one for me. And I think that um, that's why my album, the lyrics are so kind of um, universal, like they're speaking about the state of our society in comparison to originally I actually wanted to speak about myself but the, okay. the lyrics are more about universal themes, like what's our future going to be like? What's the state of our world? What's the connection between different people, between all of us? And the art kind of um, mirrors that as well. Okay. And the, the vinyl edition that's coming out is going to have the 24 pages of art and a hand-signed screen print. Is is that going to be a, a, an extremely limited edition of those? or Do you know how many are being released of that? Yeah, it's extremely limited. Like the one with the hand-signed screen print is very limited. I mean, nowadays, vinyl is limited anyway, but it's yeah. very limited. Yeah. <laughs> well, how can people find this? I know a lot of vinyl collectors out there. How do people find the, the album, either the vinyl or the uh, the electronic version? Because he, But if you do get the, the vinyl, that comes with a download link for two extra songs, correct? Exactly. Ah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. How do people find how do people find the music? Well, um, you can either get it. My label is a, an English one called Louder Than War, and uh, one can order it on their homepage or on um, my home on my Bandcamp page, which is um, Hacke de Picciotto, the band of my the name of my other band. Another very complicated. <laughs> <laughs> I specialize in difficult things. You, you may have to spell that one out for us. Okay. It's H-A-C-K-E-D-E-P-I-C-C-I-O-T-T-O. All right. There we go. People, uh, anybody who goes there can find your other work there, too, as well, your other albums. Exactly. All our, all the albums I did together with uh, my husband are on there and some of my, my old um, or my first solo album is on there. So there's all kinds of stuff. There's also DVDs that I've done, films that I've done of art, uh, different artists. Um, there's a lot of stuff, lots of nice stuff on the Bandcamp page. Yeah, I was and, looking that up last night and there's, it's amazing. The, the amount of stuff there and the, the music is, is fantastic. And, and the new album, the music that I've heard from the, the new album uh, from Tacoma... I feel I get I get like this Barry Adamson, Laurie Anderson in, influential and influence or feel from it. It's there's a definite like spooky ominous sound to it. Almost David like 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 it could go come right out of David Lynch's uh, Lost Highway. Oh, nice! It, That's it, a compliment. Oh, Thank you. I'm glad. You know, you you throw out David Lynch and you just never know. It's kind of like Germany or Berlin. You never know what the results are. People are going to love it or hate it. So Right, right. Well, I love it. I love David Lynch. I'm really happy. Yes. I'm really happy uh, meeting people like you. This is fantastic. Uh, I'm happy meeting you, too. This is really fun. Thank oh. you so much. 
Yeah. And by the way, another coincidence, I am currently reading David Lynch's um, autobiography, which is amazing. Oh, I haven't, I haven't had a chance to read that yet. It's really, really, really great. It's oh, it's amazing. I can only recommend it. It's so much fun. He is such a fascinating person. I, I, I don't know where he comes up with his ideas. It's just unreal. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a compliment if you think that mine sounds like a David Lynch soundtrack. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I said, I definitely hear the Morricone influence and I, I can hear and And I I got into uh, Barry Adamson. Uh, not I think he was from Oingo Boingo or one of those one of those one of those bands. Right. Uh-huh. And uh I never really got into him until I saw Lost Highway and and got the uh the soundtrack for it started listening and and he's all over that soundtrack and I was just like, "Oh man, this guy's great." I started getting into his work and it's his work sounds like it, it you know, it could be a soundtrack to scary movies for sure. And uh Yeah. Very, there's there's a very there's some tension to it and it's and and I get that at, in out of this album you know, I'm deliverance. I, I can definitely feel the same tension in it and it, but the beauty as well. And it's, I, it's, it's one of those works that, and I can't say this about everybody I've had on the show, unfortunately, <laughs> that I started listening to it and I was kind of transfixed by it. It just started, it just started making me think and, and started listening oh, wow. to it. And, and I really, really didn't realize that I'd listened to like three tracks already. And I'm suddenly like, Oh wow. I got to start writing notes about this stuff. <laughs> so. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much. That so, really makes me happy. Oh, good. Well, I, I really do appreciate you sharing the, the music with me and, and with everybody. Thank you. And I mean, the digital music is going to be available everywhere. I mean, it's going to be on Amazon and, you know, all the regular kind of places. Although I do not do, um, what is that streaming thing? Uh, I don't Spotify. do that. Yeah, exactly. I don't do Spotify. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people backing away from that. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't think that. Yeah, I don't. I don't do it. <laughs> are there any social media accounts there where people can follow you? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I have my my artist page. Same difficult name. <laughs> yeah. Which fortunately will be spelled out in the subject line of the podcast. Okay, cool. So. Oh, fantastic! That's great. <laughs> That's really good. And, um, yeah, my, my, my artist page and then also the page where um, my husband and I, the Hacke de Picciotto page, where you can see what we're doing because we're going to be recording an album soon again, a new album. So there's like going to be this. Basically, we release stuff. We try to release things every half a year. So there's always a lot going on on our pages. That was one thing I wanted to ask you about before I let you go is is you – you are prolific in your releases. You release stuff on a very regular basis. Is there ever stuff that gets left on the cutting room floor or is it you're just constantly using what you write? Um, usually we use most of the stuff that we write and I use most of the stuff that I write. But actually lately um, I've been doing so much that um, some of it has been – been left behind, although I'm, I plan on, you know, reworking it and using it for something else. I guess that, um, the more you do, the more, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. It's like, cause for instance, now I'm rehearsing for my release party and I'm recording every, cause I'm going to be doing a couple of improvisations too. And I'm recording them to be able to release them because lots, lots of improv stuff turns out to be a really nice background for spoken word. Okay. So, yeah, so it's 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 this little pile of of ideas next to me. <laughs> so it's the more it's kind of like the more you create, the less you can actually use, maybe because you have to pare it down at some point. Exactly, but I it, mean, it know, sounds like it's part of, of of living as a nomad. You you keep you find something you write, and then you keep using it no matter what. You you don't waste it. You exactly you come back to it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Try and waste as little as possible. That's kind of our motto. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I've I've kept you for quite a while. Thank you for for spending so much time with me and and teaching me a little bit of uh, German and and telling me oh. ab about your music. And it, it's been a blast. Oh, thank you so much. It's been so much fun.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 